0: Hello. Uh, oh, that's nice. We don't normally get that. We're not sort of Pentecostal in that nature, but that's good. Um, yeah, you've probably seen me up here before. Normally, I'm behind some kind of instrument. Uh, I head up the worship at G2630. Um, I've always been musical, not always been good. That's a more recent development. You probably don't uh, believe me. So I will humble myself and tell you a story of the first, one of the first songs I wrote that I can really remember. It was called Your Love, Your Grace, and Your Trustworthy Face. It's catchy, hey. It was all about the rhymes, all about the rhymes. I listened to many Ra- Matt Redman songs. Um, he actually bought the rights to that one. Uh, this was about uh, when I was 11 or 12. Let's go younger, actually, just to save my embarrassment. I remember saying to my mum, Mum, you know how God helps us to do really hard things, right? She was like, yeah. I was like, so you know when you're driving, bear with me on this. Uh, I hadn't driven at this point, don't worry. Uh, you know when you're driving a car, it's easier to go in a straight line than round a corner. young young child's mind. My mum's like, yeah, yeah, kind of. This was the song. Your love, your grace, and your trustworthy face leads me to the end. Your love, your grace, and your trustworthy face drives me round the bend. (laughs) (laughs) It's not quite the tone I was going for. Um, We're introducing that next Sunday, by the way. So uh, just get used to it. Um... (laughs) Yeah, no, um, it's, it's funny, talking on worship, one of the first things that comes to your mind probably is that song, Heart of Worship. I was chatting to my housemate, Ben, about this. this is not a stand-up act, by the way. I just got told to, like, think of funny things to start, and loads came out. Um, uh, I got talking to my, to my housemate about the song, Heart of Worship, and he was saying he'd always misheard it, and that was quite funny, because uh, he never quite got the song, because for years he was singing, I'll give you more than a sock. For a sock in itself is not what you have desired. Obviously, he was thinking, why is everyone giving God their socks? It's a rubbish gift. No wonder he's, you know, not happy with our worship. Um, Yeah, so we're looking at worship God with all our heart. And first off, I want to unpack those two terms, heart and worship, because they can be quite generic, and it's easy to not really know what we're talking about. Um, So here's a little activity before we do. Everyone point at yourself. That worked, thank goodness for that. Um, most of us, well, we're not pointing at our iPhones. We're not pointing at our partners, our jobs, our degrees. Um, you know, most of us aren't pointing at our minds or our guts or our feet. Most of us are pointing about here, at our hearts. Generally, when we think about the term heart, most of us think first to our emotions or our feelings, uh, where we feel love or sadness, excitement or stress. But that's merely one part of how the heart has been perceived for millennia. The Hebrew word for heart, levav, encompassed far more than that. For the Hebrews, the heart was at the center of what defined us. It included our thoughts. In Mark 7, 21, Jesus said, from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. They had no concept of the mind, so all the thoughts took place in the heart. It included our feelings and our emotions too. The phrase "a broken heart actually comes um, from Hebrew. In the story of Hannah and 1 Samuel, it says she had a broken heart because she couldn't have children. And then, of course, God went to give her Samuel, so it was all right. Uh, And in Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart. Uh, It included our choices and our desires. In Hebrew, if you really wanted something to go after it, that would take place in the heart. In, In 2 Samuel 7, 3, when the prophet Nathan is prophesying to David about building the temple of the Lord, he said, whatever is in your heart, go and do it. And David had it in his heart to build a temple. And it's intrinsically linked, our heart is intrinsically linked with what comes out of us. The things we do, the way we serve, what we say. As Jesus said in Luke, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So let's broaden our perspective of heart. Our worship should never just depend on how we feel. And that's what's unhelpful about just seeing hearts as an emotive organ. Because it limits the gravity of the phrase, I give you my heart, to just, no, I give you how I feel. I give you my heart should be more closely associated with, I give you all I am. The very definition of who I am is centred in you. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard your heart, for from it flows your whole life. Or in other words, look out what's defining you, because you'll live that way. So as we continue on this topic, on this talk, and as we go forward, when we talk about heart, and when we, when we sing, I give you my heart, let's think about a bit more what that means. It doesn't just mean how I feel. It's what's defining us. So what's Worship. With dumb heart, what does worship mean? This is obviously a massive topic, and I couldn't really scratch the surface. Um, If you want to hear more, Matt and I did a talk uh, earlier in June about worship. Paul did a talk recently on service as worship. But for the purpose of this talk, I want to define worship as this: worship is all we give ourselves to, and all we fill ourselves with. What we worship is what we give our time our affection, and our attention, because it's what we deem worthy to give those things to. It's what we give value. And what we worship, we find in our hearts. We find at the center of who we are. We could just That could just as easily be all we give our hearts to and all we fill our hearts with. It will overflow out of our mouths. It will guide our choices and have command of our thoughts. What we worship, we give our hearts, and what we worship fills our hearts. And we're always worshiping. We can't switch that off. Uh, I feel like God's saying this to this this to us a lot recently. He said it. Um, Paul was saying something very similar a few weeks back. We're all serving something. And, and Matt and I said it in our talk in June. We're all worshipping something. This is so true. We've got to get it out of our minds that worship is just this thing we turn up on Sunday and do. Again, it, it limits, you know, what worship is. Worship is something that flows out of us. Worship isn't singing. It's what inhabits the singing. It's not just serving. It's what inhabits the serving. It's what's behind that. And we're designed to Worship. Our hearts have been created to worship, and they've been created to worship God. We're designed to so the core of who we are fits perfectly within God, and vice versa. Anything else we worship isn't used in our hearts as it was intended. They won't properly fit or fully satisfy. We're made to be in relationship with God. We have hearts to give, and in worship we're made to give those to God to be in relationship with him. So how do we do that? How do we position our hearts to worship God, to give them to him? Well, David gives us a clue in Psalm 138. He says, I praise you, God, with my whole heart. And he impacts what this looks like. I praise you, Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing praises to you. Now, David here is uh, talking about God's small g. He's saying, nothing is is worthy of my worship, no idol, nothing else in my life is worthy of my worship but you, Lord Almighty. So I'm going to consciously, intentionally praise you in front of everything else. In his context, that would have been the Babylonian gods. That may have been anything, any other temptation he had in his mind. I'm going to praise you, God Almighty, not them. I find it really helpful in worship um, to figuratively picture in front of me my idols when I uh, come into worship, when we, when we do sung worship on a Sunday, but just any time I'm coming consciously before God and turning my heart to him, saying I praise you with my whole heart, one of the first things I find it helpful to do is lay in front of me everything that has my worship. Uh, for me, that's my fear of man, my fear of the affirmation of others. I consci- consciously, constantly battled that uh, as I was writing this talk just constantly working on it for ages and ages because it's such a heart cry that I have. Um, but I just had to come to the realization, I had to put it in front of me and say, you know what, I don't care what you guys think, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't, and it can't be about that. My, my talk, my worship can't be about that. Sometimes it's more tangible. Sometimes it's our our phone, our laptops. I'm not saying lay them out in front of you every time you worship, because that kind of defeats the point and might get distracting. Um, But it might be the need to hurry off and watch that latest episode of The Good Place on Netflix, which is a temptation I totally understand. And, of of course, I am up to date. Um, um, (laughs) Probably instead of worshipping God. Um, But I like to say it under my breath in worship. Lay before me all these things that have my worship. And consciously, great. I'm aware of all what I worship. Now I can take that and give that to God. Because anyone will become aware of what's God I worship. Can we give that back to God? So I'll praise you, Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I'll sing praises to you. I'll worship towards your holy temple. And when the psalm was written, David may, well, will have had some literal dwelling of God. Like, he was going to build the, the holy temple, but he would have had a, a tabernacle or a tent or something where, where God dwelled and he could literally go, where is it? There it is. Great. I worship it to you, God. Not bowing, necessarily. Um, we don't have that in the same way. But it says in Corinthians that we are the temple of God. The Spirit lives in us. So this now looks like a reorientation of our hearts within us. And our hearts as a church. We are a church. We are a, a body. And a body has a heart. When we worship as a church, we place God at the heart of our church. And when God is at the heart of our church, he permeates everything else. Let's guard our hearts as a church. Guard what we worship as a church. Because from that flows our whole lives as a church. Want to be the best evangelist? Worship God. Want to be the best at raising the next generation? Worship God. Want to make the best disciples? Worship God. Because when we have God at the center and we worship him, Everything flows from that. Our worship of God is our constant reorientation as a church towards the heart of God. It's repeatedly making sure that He defines us. He is at our heart, not anything else. And we can worship God in, in many ways, and one of the ways we choose to do that is, is to sing together. And that's not to say those who can sing better are better worshipers. As I said earlier, worship isn't just about the singing, it's about what inhabits the singing. But singing together is a great way to collectively declare who God is and and make sure that our identity as a church is within him. So David has given us a great template in Psalm 138 of how to position ourselves to worship God. Yes, G2 has a heart. When I wrote that, I realized that that looks like, out of context, that looks a bit odd, like I'm saying that we're all good people and I'm trying to tell you that G2 has a heart, I promise you. This is a a fantastic template of how to position ourselves individually and as a church towards God. And that's great. We've been made to be in relationship with him. We've been designed that way. But so far, this is just all about us. That's all I've talked about, how what we do. But that's just the first bit of worship. You can build up on a a building site, you can get that scaffolding, you can get all the vehicles, and you can get all the manpower, but the house doesn't just build itself immediately. You can get everything ready, and that's great. We should. We should position our hearts and say, God, this is all for you. But it doesn't just make us worship. We've all been in that place, ready to worship God, but just uninspired. No desire to do so. Given God our time, but not sure what to do with it. Come on Sundays to, to enter into sung worship, and every time the music dies down, or we switch the song, we're like, oh, no. what do I do now? Quiet, I have to be alone with what's actually inside me and don't really want to give that over. I'm not really sure what to do. Ooh. We've all done it when we're just riding the wave of a nice song, and suddenly we're in that moment of silence and we're like, ah, oh, what are we doing? But remember the parable of the prodigal son. Yes, he had to make that choice. And sometimes we've got to make that choice, even when we don't feel it feel it. Remember that, like it's not just about our feelings and our emotions. We've got to turn, we've got to position ourselves and say, God, I want to worship you. But it's the father, once he turned around, that ran out. It's the father who lowered and debased himself. It's the father who picked up his skirt and whatever he was wearing and and, ran, and ran, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, his robe, that's the one, and ran out to meet his son, to show him his extravagant love. It is this heart of God, the heart of the Father, that will inspire us to worship God. Because the only thing that inspires us to worship God is God himself. Because there's two sides to this relationship we're in with him. And while we've been going through our lives, giving our hearts our time, our affection, and our attention to other things, God has never stopped giving his heart to us. He's been singing over us since the very start, formed us in our mother's womb. He counted every hair on our head. His thoughts of us outnumber the grains of sand. And I did the math. No, okay, wait. I googled the math. And that's more than 7.5 times 10 to the power of 18 grains of sand. Don't know how they counted it. But that's 7 quintillion 500 quadrillion grains of sand. He's got more thoughts in us than us. More thoughts of us than that. And I didn't even know that was a number. He has patiently walked with mankind through their constant failures. Over and over again, he's brought redemption and renewal, literally gave everything, died the most painful death, bore the weight of our sin and shame so that we could come into relationship with him. He is constantly being good to us, constantly making beauty out of our ashes. In Revelation, the writer John gives us a picture of what heaven looks like, and it's mentioned over and over and over again, that the angels and the elders are overflowing in worship for God. It is pouring out of them. They are constantly seeing God's heart and they're constantly responding, God, you are worthy. You are holy. And the elders keep throwing their crowns down before God, giving every bit of who they are, all of their hearts to Him because they're so overcome by His beauty and His majesty. There's no other response that seems appropriate. Can you genuinely tell me of anything else you've given your heart to that makes you feel that way? Any money or power, fear, person, earthly affirmation, any treasure, anything we have here. Anything that's filled your heart so completely that it's inspired you to worship like that. And I think what scares, what has often scared me about heaven, and I think sometimes what scares people about heaven, is that we'll get tired of it. Because we're used to worshipping things, we get tired of worshipping we used to worship things that don't satisfy, that don't fill us. I don't think the angels are in heaven going, it's been about 300 billion years, guys, of worshiping. Anyone want a couple of years' coffee break? I'm sure they love it. I'm sure they're there. They're not just going, I am forced to do this. This is who I am. I can't you know, do anything else. They're going, oh, this is who I am. I get to be here before God. He is holy. He's worthy. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And if I had the choice, I'd do it for eternity, and nothing else. Even if I knew every other option, I'd do it for eternity. Have you tried everything else and found it doesn't really satisfy? Then give God a go. Let him have your heart. Let him define you. Put him at the center and get to know him. And invest in a relationship that's worth it. Get to know a God who created the heavens and the earth the God who breathed life into your soul, the God who holds the universe in balance and placed each star in the sky, yet still knows you intimately, always thinking about you, always delighting of you, always loving you. Get to know his breadth, his depth, his majesty, his glory, his beauty, his wonder, and worship will overflow. How do we get to know him? Well, you can start today by singing. Take the words, To heart, mean them, engage. Start there. When you go home, think about what's getting your time, your worship, your heart. And even when you don't feel like it, challenge yourself. Give God more of your heart, more of your time, your attention. Get to know him by spending time in his presence. Set aside time for him and allow the Holy Spirit, who is God, to come and be with you. Come and occupy you and define your heart. You've all got a book. We've all got a book either in front of you or at home or in some electronic device that speaks constantly of the majesty of God, the glory of his character, the wonders of what he's done, the beauty of his creation, his overwhelming love that is poured out for us. Read it. Get to know it. That's not a Tim Keller book, by the way. That's the Bible, if you haven't clocked. (laughs) Read the Bible. We've got it. It's a gift. Take it. Get inspired by it. Get to know that God's. And there's another reason why some congregational worship is so helpful here. Because it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more we know and declare who God is, the more we discover of God. And the more we discover of God, the more we want to worship him. And it just goes round and round. And that's what God wants more than anything. He wants our hearts as a church individually. One of the most famous uh, verses on worship is is in John 4.23 when it says, A time is coming now when when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. You know my favorite bit about that verse? They're the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Not the kind of worship the Father seeks. He's seeking the worshipper, not the worship. He knows we're designed to be with him, to be in relationship with him, to take our hearts and and make sure that he is at the core of all we are. Because that's when we're our best selves. He knows that. No, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Sometimes we have to get the ball rolling. We have to reposition our hearts because as we go through life, they come out of line. That's what's helpful about what David showed us in Psalm 138. Other things distract us, take our time, steal our time, our thoughts, our attention, our affection. But God is worthy of laying all that down. He's worthy of that investment. And yet it takes time and effort on our part. Any relationship does. Anything or anyone you have a relationship with has had your time and your effort put into it. And we'll probably have to break off some of those relationships to be with God, and that's never easy. And when we've been used to worshipping things, that, um, to giving our hearts to things that don't satisfy, there's probably a feeling of fear about giving our hearts to God, because everything so far you've given your hearts to hasn't fully satisfied you. But when we worship him, be that singing on a Sunday... Serving those around us, giving them our time, our affection, our attention. Even when we don't always feel to, I promise you that relationship is worthwhile. So there's no pressure for everything to change today. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, we get it, fantastic, everyone click, worship. Oh, you know, next bit of worship that, you know, the spirit falls and we're all down on our faces. I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. But I'm saying let's engage in this journey, guys. Let's start doing this together, encouraging each other and individually. Let's reposition our hearts individually and as a church towards God. Let's commit to seeking his heart, reading his words, singing louder, maybe dancing when we want to, but it feels awkward. I'm not saying that's going to happen today. What if that was in the future of G2? Giving him more than feels comfortable, investing in this relationship, our time, our attention, our thoughts, our feelings, our choices, our service, our hearts. Because our worship will, for him will flow out of us when we do. Uh, So we'll invite the band up now. And uh, as we do this, Dan is going to quietly play in the background for us. And first off, there's a couple of things I want us to do in this response. First off, we can stay seated for this. As I I mentioned earlier, that, that picture of repositioning our hearts, I'd love if we could all just close our eyes. And before we go into worship, I just want us all to... Lay out in front of us everything that has our time and our affection. After we've done that, we'll stand and we'll get into the next bit of the response. But first, just lay before you. What has your time? What has your attention? What has your thoughts? Right now, what's going through? Is there any place you'd rather be? Lay it all down at his feet. Become aware of it so you can give it to God.